We stand, let's bow our heads and pray. 10,000 reasons to praise you, Lord, to bless you. Father, some of us have come this morning and we're struggling to find anything to bless you for. Some of us have come with burdens in our lives. Some of us come distant from you. Father, please would you meet with us this morning by your spirit through your word for the sake of Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen. Please do sit down. Please would you turn to that passage that Fred read to us from Mark chapter 10. I was in an evening service a couple of weeks ago, standing at the front, and for some reason, these words of Jesus to the blind man in the story in Mark 10 came to me, where Jesus says to him, what do you want me to do for you? I don't know why they came to me. If I belong to a different tradition, I might put it slightly differently. But it struck me that as a congregation, as a church rather, we have been praying for God to use us, for God to show us what he wants us to do. We've been asking him. And here were these words where Jesus is saying, what do you want me to do for you? And then I thought about how we come to church with the circumstances of our lives and our marriages, our family life, our children, our grandchildren, our grandparents, issues to do with our health, struggles about the future, issues that concern us. We come with all kinds of things. And here was the, this word from Jesus, what do you want me to do for you? And as I thought about that, I was reminded of an occasion that I read about where a leader of a church, a minister, received a letter from a member of the congregation that went something like this. Whenever I come to church, I feel like unscrewing my head and putting it underneath the seat. Because in church, I don't think I need anything above my neck. In other words, to this guy... Christianity was anti-intellectual. It didn't make sense. There was no point in bringing his head to church. I suspect that's not our issue. There are places and there are times when Christianity has been rightly accused of being anti-intellectual. But I don't think that's our problem. I think our problem is more likely to be that when we come to church, we expect to have our minds engaged. At least we expect to have things explained to us. The Bible explained to us. God's dealings with his people in the Old Testament. What he was doing with the Israelites. What he was doing through Jesus in the New Testament. How the disciples fared. 
How the early church went on. What Paul means when he writes all those letters, or Peter. We expect to have our minds engaged. If anything, I think our problem is not our heads. It's if you like our bodies. It's the 90-odd percent of our lives that takes place outside of church on a Sunday morning. And so we bring our heads to church and as it were, leave our bodies at the door. Our marriages, our health issues, our relationship concerns, our financial concerns, our dreams, our aspirations, our fears. We leave those at the door because we're not convinced that what will happen when we're in church will have very much to do with those things. That should not be the case. That should not be the case. God is concerned about every area of your life. He isn't just concerned about your minds. He isn't even just concerned about that component we wrongly talk about as being spiritual. He's concerned about the whole of your life as human beings here. When Jesus came on the scene, and it's there at the beginning of Mark's gospel, this biography of Jesus that we're dipping into today, when Jesus came on the scene, you may recall that he announced... He gave this slogan for what he was about. His mission statement, if you like. He said, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. That phrase, the kingdom of God, is Jesus' term for what God is doing and what God always intended to do in terms of restoring his rule to its rightful place, putting human beings back together again, putting the world back together so that God's rule would rightly be acknowledged everywhere and there would be no opposition to it. When Jesus says the kingdom of God is near, he is saying that kingdom of God's rule, of restoration, of health, of healing, of wholeness, of restoring relationships with God, of dealing with evil and sin, of death itself, our relationships with each other, our relationship with the whole created order, that, Jesus says, is breaking in. It's near and it's breaking in because of who Jesus is, that Jesus is the king. And so when this man in Mark chapter 10 cries out to Jesus, have mercy on me. And then Jesus says, call him to me and then asks him that wonderful question, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man says, I want to see Jesus doesn't say, ah, oh, that's your body. Don't do healings. Now, if you want your sins forgiven, I'll deal with your sins. If you want to go to heaven when you die, I can get you to heaven when you die. But don't do the body thing. 
He doesn't say that, does he? He heals him. Why? Because the kingdom of God is about the whole of our existence as human beings. And in the person of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God is breaking in and therefore he heals him. God is concerned with every aspect of your life. So I want you to imagine that Jesus is asking you that question. All of us, us as a church, you as individuals, he's saying to you, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus is really clear, isn't he? He says, I want a Lamborghini. Because life isn't complete without a Lamborghini, is it? I want to move to Roseville. He says, I want to see. I want to see. The things that are at the forefront of our minds, the things that we want most, our desires say a great deal about us, don't they? And for this man, Bartimaeus, it was his blindness, and Jesus heals him. What do you want Jesus to do for you? How does this work? Well, like this. The kingdom has broken in, in Jesus. The kingdom has broken in, in Jesus, and it's present here now by his Holy Spirit. It's already here. But it's still to come. It's broken and it's drawn near, but it's not here in all its completeness. And so we live, if you like, between two ages. We live in an era when Jesus has come and the Holy Spirit has been poured out and the kingdom is present. But we live in the era when the kingdom has yet to come in all this fullness. And that means this. Number one. There will be, and we should expect and pray for demonstrations of the kingdom now. Every time somebody prays to the Lord Jesus, prays to God and says, forgive me, and puts their trust in Christ, that is a demonstration of the kingdom. And anybody who prays that prayer with sincerity, God always answers it. The kingdom has come. And God's rule begins in that person's life. The Holy Spirit is poured out on them. The new era has come for that person. It is a demonstration of the kingdom. But whenever we pray for somebody's marriage to be healed and God begins to restore somebody's marriage, that's a demonstration of the kingdom as well. And when we pray for somebody to experience healing and God works and heals them, that's a demonstration of the kingdom. And when we pray about relationships within families, within communities, within the church to be healed, and God answers that prayer, that is a demonstration of the kingdom because the kingdom has already drawn near. It's amongst us. 
And God is concerned. The kingdom is about, if you like, every area of life. And so we should expect and ask for demonstrations of the kingdom, for God's rule to begin in people's lives and for lives to be changed by the power of the Spirit. But we live between two ages. The kingdom has already drawn near. But the kingdom has yet to come in all its fullness. And so some of the healing and restoration that takes place will take place through ordinary means. Some of you have a pain and you go to the doctor. doctor gives you a magic pill. It says on it, magic pill. So you know it's a magic pill. And it works. And you're better. Or you go to counseling or whatever it is. Relationships begin to be restored. God is at work. And by the way, God is at work in the ordinary means. God is at work in those ordinary means of healing and restoration. So we live in an era where there are demonstrations of the kingdom. We should pray for them and we should expect them. We live in an era where there are ordinary means by which people are dealt with. And we live in an era where evil still continues. And people don't get healed. And there's injustice and there's violence and relationships don't get put together again. We live in those, this in-between time. And sometimes for some of us, the call to follow Jesus means a call to follow him when there is no healing. And where the relationships don't get put back together. Because we live between these two ages. And it's not all about you. Christianity is not about your best life now. It is about being invited to be part of God's kingdom and what he's doing and to serve him and to bring glory to him through that is the most prestigious calling anybody can ever get. And sometimes that's serving him through suffering and pain and disappointment. Three things. Demonstrations of the kingdom. The ordinary means that God uses. And sometimes not healing. Not restoration because we're still waiting for the fulfillment of all things when the kingdom comes in all its fullness and there's no more crying and no more pain and where evil is excluded forever and all those who commit evil are not part of the kingdom where there is peace and love and laughter and purpose and joy that in its fullness is yet to come but it's already broken into the present. So what do you want Jesus to do for you? What do you want him to do? Is it relationships? Is it marriage? Some of you come concerned about your health. Some of you wondering where life's going. Doesn't make any sense. What do you want Jesus to do for you?
You know, there's something else that's really important about this story in Mark's gospel about the blind man. It's really, really important. If we miss this, we miss the most important thing. There are two things going on in this story. One of them is obvious. It's the healing of a blind man, but there's something else going on. The healing of this blind man, Bartimaeus, has a special function in the story. It's the second of two healing miracles that Jesus carries out to do with healing blindness. The first one happens in chapter 8. And there, there's a blind man and Jesus heals him, but it doesn't work. <laughs> well, he, he, he restores his sight, but he sees people as trees. So he couldn't see, but now he can, but people look like trees. As I said to the 8 o'clock congregation, <laughs> who seemed to think this was significant, if anybody here is seeing people and they look like trees, um, I would go and see somebody if I were Get prayer by all means, but please go and see somebody. Your eyes need checking because there's something wrong with them. People do not normally look like trees. And Jesus touches him a second time and heals him. And then he can see. And that story of the healing of that first blind man occurs just before a critical part in Mark's gospel People have been asking the question, who is Jesus? And Mark's gospel has been about, who is this guy, Jesus? What's he about? And what does it mean to follow Jesus? And immediately after the healing of the man, Jesus asks his disciples the question, so what are people saying about me? And they say, well, they're saying all kinds of things. They think you're significant. They think you might be a prophet. They think you're a great guy. There are all kinds of things. And then he says, what do you think? Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. And immediately after that, Jesus starts to talk about how he will suffer and die. How he'll be rejected by the religious leaders and the political authorities. He will lose all power and be executed. And Peter says, that does not make sense. <laughs> Only he said it more strongly than that. But it's Sunday morning and we're in Willoughby and so I'm being polite. But then Jesus makes it worse. He calls everybody around and says, do you know if you want to be one of my followers, you have to go the way I am going. Following me is not about self-fulfillment. It's about denying yourself for the sake of me and for the sake of others, for the sake of the gospel. If anybody wants to be my disciple, they must take up their cross and follow me. Where's Jesus going? He's going the road of crucifixion. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? It means to follow his way. Which doesn't literally mean everybody's going to be crucified. You understand the metaphor. It's about giving the whole of your life to Jesus and his cause. If you want to be my disciple, you have to lose your life in order to gain it. The rest of Mark's gospel up to this second incident of the healing of Bartimaeus is all about that. Jesus is going to suffer and die. And being a follower of Jesus means self-denial. It means going the road of the cross. And Jesus is about to, in chapter 11, the next chapter, he's about to enter Jerusalem for the last time. And it's going to be Palm Sunday. Only they didn't call it Palm Sunday, but they waved branches and said, Hosanna to the King who comes. And we call it Palm Sunday, some of us. He's about to go into the 
city for the last time. He's going to confront the authorities in the temple and they're going to arrest him and they're going to execute him. He is going that final journey to death. But just before that, he heals Bartimaeus. In the first instance, where that man needed two touches to be healed, that man's just a bit like the disciples. They've seen something about who Jesus is, that he's the Christ. But they don't understand what he's come to do. They don't understand about his death. And they certainly don't relish the idea of going the way of the cross. They needed a second miracle, if you like. The healing of Bartimaeus is really different. By the way, it may be that some of you here this morning think Jesus is a great guy. Maybe a prophet. Maybe you even think he's the son of God. But you haven't understood what it means to follow him. Have a look at this healing of Bartimaeus. Look at what happens to him. First of all, he cries out for help. He cries out to Jesus for mercy in his desperation. And then notice the phrase that he uses. He calls out to him as son of David. He speaks to him in terms that are even more exalted than those of Peter, the disciple, who says you're the Christ. Son of David has all the connotations of the Old Testament, where David is told that a son of his will come and be God's appointed king who will rule forever. That's the language he uses of Jesus, and it echoes the language of heaven, the language of God himself at the beginning of Mark's gospel, where God says, this is my son. And he turns, Bartimaeus turns, cries out, to this Jesus, the son of David, and says, heal me, heal me. I love the way, too, he won't be stopped. Or he, he's shouting out. It's a bit embarrassing. He's a beggar. He's blind. And the very polite people, obviously, they must have come from Roseville. They try to shut him up. Sorry, some people. I've offended some people. I'll find somewhere else afterwards. They try and shut him up, but he won't be shut up. Just keeps calling out. And then look at what Jesus does. He calls him to him. And so the people go to Bartimaeus and say, he, he's calling you. And then Jesus asks him this question, what do you want me to do for you? And then he heals him. By the way, Jesus always responds to people who cry out to him for mercy, out of their need. cries out to him and Jesus heals him and then I want you to notice how it ends straight after he's healed immediately he gets up and follows Jesus along the road isn't that powerful where's Jesus going he's going on the road to Jerusalem what will happen in Jerusalem he will be executed on a cross. 
Bartimaeus, having been healed, aligns himself with this condemned man. And what seems to be, to all intents and purposes, a condemned cause, he goes the way of the cross. Because you see, Bartimaeus speaks about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It isn't sufficient to say, I think Jesus is a great guy. It isn't even sufficient to say, I think Jesus is the Son of God. He's divine. He's the Messiah. To be a follower of Jesus means having recognized something of who Jesus is, to follow him. Anybody who wants to be my disciple must take up his cross and follow me. Anybody who wants to save his life must lose it for my sake and for the gospel. What's this story about? Well, it's about the healing of a blind man because the kingdom is all about bodies as well as spirits and minds. But it's also about what discipleship is. It's about what it means to be an authentic Christian, about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And if we miss that, we miss everything. There were people in the Bible who came to Jesus and were healed and then went on and lived exactly as they did before. See, if all that happens, great as it may be, if all that happens is your body is restored and you're healed, or your mind is restored, or your marriage is put back together, or relationships are dealt with, great as that is, if all that happens is that, you have missed the most important thing. Because Jesus is inviting us not just to our best life now, not even to our best life now. He's inviting us to this great privilege of being part of the kingdom being part of what God is doing through Christ and through his people in the power of the Spirit and to follow Jesus. So what about us? What about us? What do you want Jesus to do for you? For some of you, it may be that the most important thing you need to do this morning is to ask that Jesus will take your life, that is, that you give your life to him because you've never really done that. You might think lots of great things about Jesus, but you've never followed him. For some of you, it may be that you've just wandered a long way from him. You started on that journey with Jesus and you wandered off and you need to come back. And Jesus is saying, what do you want me to do for you? And perhaps the most important thing you need to say to him is, please restore me. For some of you, it may be that you've lost your joy, lost your assurance, lost your confidence, does God love me? Lost any sense of power. Some of you may be trying to live the Christian life and it's such a struggle and it's joyless and it seems to be all about rules and regulations and things that you shouldn't do. And maybe you need to be coming this morning and the most important thing you need to be asking is, Lord, please would you fill me with your spirit? Fill me with your love? Give me the power to live for you?
others of us, we've come concerned about our marriages or our children or about our health, about all kinds of things, hopes, dreams. The kingdom is about all of us. That is us as human beings. So what do you want Jesus to do for you? In a moment, we're going to have an opportunity to pray. Let me tell you how this is going to work. We're going to finish with prayer. And I want to invite you to remain in your seat, simply to pray quietly. But also there'll be our ministry team, our prayer team at the front, and also some at the back over there. So if you want to receive prayer, then make use of the ministry team. Get them to pray for you. You know, we're in this together. Um, Andrew mentioned about this when we come to our confession. When we say our confession, we say it together because we're reminding ourselves we're all in the same boat. And when you come and receive prayer and people see that, you're actually showing, I haven't got everything sorted out. None of us has. And I need Jesus. I need the Holy Spirit to be at work in my life. Please would you pray for me? So an opportunity to stay in your seats and just pray quietly yourself. An opportunity to come to the front or to go to the back and receive prayer. An opportunity to pray for the person next to you. If you know the person next to you and you think it's appropriate, you might say, can I pray for you? Or they may, you may turn to the person next to you if you know them and say, please would you pray for me? There is going to be morning tea. You, you can leave anytime you want. Um, as I said, morning tea, if you would go out through that door at the back and then get morning tea. And if you could go outside, if possible, that would be great just to keep the noise level down. But I would encourage you to stay for at least a while and to pray, whether quietly or with members of the ministry team. So I wonder if the ministry team, all of you, would, those of who are going to be praying, so you can see who they are. One or two of them will be wandering around as well. And then please, so if you would like to come to the front if you're on the ministry team. And please would you all stand. And if you just bow your heads, I'm going to pray and then we'll move into our time of prayer. Holy Spirit, please would you come and work amongst us and do whatever it is that you want to do in us. And Father, please, would you, by your Spirit, help us to respond to your Spirit, to that question from Jesus, what do you want me to do for you? Holy Spirit, please come. Please do sit down.